0: IndieCast is presented by Uprox's Indie Mixtape. Hello everyone and welcome to IndieCast. On this show we talk about the biggest indie news of the week. We review albums and we hash out trends. In this episode we continue our look back at 2020 with the second installment of our award show, The IndieCasties. My name is Stephen Hyden, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host Ian Cohen. Ian, how are you? Steve, uh like
1: one week after the fact and I already feel like I'm going through year-end list withdrawal, man. They're starting to come <laughs> in in a trickle as opposed to a flood and uh, I mean, I just find myself like waking up in the middle of the night like needing to look at a like a like the looking at like the cover of the
0: Dua Lipa album or something like that. Um, See, you know, like you—you you read a lot of year-end lists. I—I I re- I get this from your your because, your twi- like, I have to admit, um, I read only one year-end list from beginning to end, and it was wow. it was my—it was, it was my list, <laughs> and I have to say, I have to say, I did a great job with my list. But otherwise, I—I I, I don't read a lot of year-end lists anymore. I—I I think I'm just just like I don't read a lot of record reviews anymore. I'm just like this, uh, you know, sort of jaded. <laughs> Person now, I only just want to read my own. I'm like Eddie Van Halen, like how Eddie Van Halen never listened to like any other bands. I think like the last record he had bought was Peter Gabriel's So. Like that was the last (laughs) album he bought in his life. I knew a lot like Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, and he bought that like in 1986. He didn't like buy (laughs) that in like 2016, catching up with it. So I feel like I'm like Eddie Van Halen in that. In this one very narrow way in that like I've I've so saturated myself with music writing that I actually don't read a lot of music writing anymore.
1: I mean, I don't read a lot of music writing and I you know, many people are saying, you know, Stephen Hyden, he is the Eddie Van Halen of music <laughs> list reading. Um but for me it's like I will <laughs> exactly. I will I will read any mute like I I will if I don't I might not read your publication like for the entire year but i'll read the year end list and I, I might not like follow you on twitter but if i see that you know someone liked your year end list i might go look at it and it's because i feel like in a lot of ways like i miss out on so much that goes on in the year because i'm so focused on my own thing that i'll, I'll just like look at it. like i i love year end lists and here here's the thing that really bugs me about like the way they're rolled out like um I feel like they're coming out earlier and earlier and you know from a logistical standpoint I get the criticism of you know releasing your year end list in November because you might miss a few records. I know Rolling Stones probably stoked that they'll have another Taylor Swift album to put on their 2021 list because uh, evermore missed their 2020 list, but also like we are heading into the last 2 years of the 2 weeks of the year, uh nothing's really happening and there's just so little content to you know, help you pass through the day because, you know, some of us still have to go to our office jobs and have things to, uh, you know, pass, you know, look at during lunch or whatever. But this is where IndieCast comes in. We are providing that crucial, that crucial year end content after all the year ends have come out.
0: Yes. Although this is our last episode of 2020, like a uh, fair warning to all of you, you're going to have to survive beyond <laughs> this, you know. These next two weeks without us, we will be back in 2021, barring some sort of disaster. Yeah. Um. So excited for that. We'll have to figure out what the hell or, we're going to talk about or, in January and February. But, or yeah, hey.
1: if, the, if the Wrens drop the album on like uh, December 28th, then we'll have to do
0: an emergency episode. Yes. If the Wrens drop uh, the sequel to The Meadowlands, <laughs> uh, we will do an episode. I... That's really funny to me that story because I remember I wrote about uh that album for Grantland. I did a, I did an interview with Charles RIP talking Grant about Life. the new Renz album and he said he was like I think at that point he said he was something like 70% done and that was in 2013. <laughs> and uh we're we're still waiting for for the new Renz album. I wanted to ask you something quick What's since that? you are a person that looks at a lot of music, uh, a lot of year-end lists, what do you think about this, like, mini sort of issue of, like, ranking albums? Because, Ooh. like, Bandcamp had this thing where they, like, made a, you know, sort of a big deal about, like, we're not going to rank albums on our list. A-, a list that I actually like a lot, and this, I think, list, it dropped the day that we're recording this episode, is the Aquarium Drunkard list, That that's oh, yeah. a great blog. They never rank their their list, and that's actually a list I do look at because I mm-hmm. I, I end up discovering a lot of albums from yeah. there. But like, what do you think about like because you know, people are saying like you shouldn't rank art, it's it creates hierarchies and like because <laughs> to me I, I'm like if you make a list unless you're going to list every single album that came yeah. out in a year you're creating a hierarchy of of taste you know yeah. whether you rank it or not it's on your list so there's lots of albums that are on your list yeah you know. I mean, personally, I don't really care if you rank it or not. But, like, making an issue of it, like you're taking a moral stand, I kind of question that a little bit. I'm just like, you know, it's just a list. If you rank it or not, it's fine. But, you know, if you're ranking it, I'm not looking at you like you're some sort of, like, enemy of art. Yeah. Because you said something was number one and number (laughs) two. You know what I mean? Like, how do you feel about that?
1: The way, I mean... I'm a I'm a list reader of all sorts. Yeah, Aquarium Drunker definitely one of the best year in year out. Shout out to Justin. You know, go dogs. Um, and I think you're right in the sense that there's room for everything. Like if you do it put if you feature 50 albums, you've created a hierarchy between those 50 albums, even if they're unranked and everything else. And also, you know, like Bandcamp also has like charts for best selling uh, you know, in each, any given genre. So I think hierarchies, whether they're stated or unstated are kind of unavoidable. But, you know, my question is like, what are readers like? Um, you know, I'm sure there are some readers who find the idea of ranking things a little distasteful others, you know, such as myself, I love rankings. Like I'm, I'm a sports person. I like the, I don't like the fact, I don't, I, I don't totally believe that art is like a winners and losers sort of thing, but, Um, I do think it helps in a lot of ways, get a sense of, you know, what matter or maybe not what mattered the most, but like what was the biggest story of any given year. And, you know, you gotta, I like things more than others, um, you know, for different reasons. And it is tough to say, you know, do particularly if like you're comparing albums across genres or like doing decade lists, like I find those to be quite difficult, but, um, I don't know. There, I think there's room for everything, uh, and right. yeah, I would. If 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 people want to not rank them, by all means. If people want to rank them and get like super granular about it, that's cool too. Um, I don't know if you know. I I I don't. I, I I would just love to know what the readers think. And it's yeah, not I mean, that every I think- it's not that every publication needs to like cater to the reader's whims. I think there needs to be editorial voice, but. I don't know. I got. I get a little bit. Um. I, I get it. Just like this bad taste in my mouth when people treat music writing as if it is like some sort of like higher calling. Uh, right. I take exactly. it very and, seriously, but like at the same time, it's still
0: kind of fun. And we have to think about, you know, what's fun. <laughs> exactly. And I. I guess my take is, you know, because I. I. I see these conversations take place among critics about how, you know it can be dangerous to create a canon because canons have biases and like it can keep out records that are worthy because they don't fit whatever criteria critics think are, think are important in a particular time. And those are important conversations to have. I think it's good to be thoughtful about that, but I think it also is necessary to have some perspective on what music writing can and can't do. And I, I do believe that, yeah, it helps for uh, a record, certainly in the short term, to get a lot of praise from critics and to end up on these year-end lists. But like, I would just invite anyone to look at a year-end list from like ten years ago or mm-hmm. twenty years ago, and just look at the records that like no one remembers. You know, that like <laughs> records that were praised in the year they came out that were totally forgotten, and then also to remember the records that weren't on those lists that like people just revere now and and uh-huh. love now. We, and we talk about it. that happens every single year. You know, there are critically acclaimed records that just come and go. And there's records that are sort of, you know, sort of critically ignored maybe, or more under the radar that end up becoming revered. You know, my point just being that like critics are not the be all end all in yeah. like what is remembered. Uh, so, and, and I'll say even like, you know, I made a joke earlier about how my list was the only list I read from beginning to end. I honestly, can't remember everything I put on my list already. You know, it's like, and like I, I, and I was tweeting about this this week. Like, there's this great album called Hit to Hit by a band called Second Grade from oh, Philadelphia. Yeah. I was listening to that record this week, and it was totally one of those things where you feel like late list making buyer's remorse. Where you're like, oh, why didn't I put this on my year end list? Yeah. Like, I, I've talked about that record on this show, but like, I wish I'd put it on my year end list because that's yeah. such a good album. I feel the and same. And I wanted to make man. sure. I wanted to shoehorn it into this episode because I wanted to shout out second grade. Cause that's a really good record hit to hit. Yeah. Go check that out. If you haven't yet, I should have put it on my list. I, I but, feel know, a bit of, again, I th- feel th- a th-
1: bit of buyer's remorse because like, um, you know, I in in the up rocks list. I put like this, the first glass beach album on there again. And it's like, you know what? That was technically a 2019 record. I could have put something like literally new and, as far as um, yeah, at this time of year, Facebook puts up memories, and I often like back in the day, I would post my top fifty lists, uh, and you would and I would see one from two thousand fifteen, and I I just like I did I really like fifty albums that year. It's like did I really listen to this number forty seven all this time? And uh, it's. Yeah, you just think about like how – I think lists are important because they do give you a sense of like what was important at the time. Like I don't think we make these with the intention that 10, 15 years from now this is going to be the canon, you know? And even if there is like a – like, you know, let's create a new canon. It's still a canon, you know? So I think it's kind of impossible to um, do music criticism without – you know, putting things on hierarchy, like putting things in a hierarchy. That's just kind of the nature of it. And um, yeah, at the end of the day, we're just still a bunch of nerds talking
0: about music. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's fun. We're just, you know, we love this stuff. We take it seriously, but it's also a laugh at the end of the day. And it's, it, I think, it's good to keep that in mind. And I feel like that's a good segue. Yes, into. The indie cast-y section <laughs> of this episode. The, and like, the, the most uh,
1: important awards ceremony of yes. the year.
0: Yes, exactly. The only year-end retrospective that matters. I think it's fair to say. That's what people are saying. That's not yeah. what we're saying. Many people, people are saying street, it. <laughs> That the IndieCasties, it's the only year-end honor that anyone cares about. Um, I should say, just as a uh, sort of a housekeeping thing here, that we are suspending the mailbag segment this week, and we're also uh. going to suspend the Recommendation Corner uh, segment, just to make sure that we can get as many IndieCasties into this episode as we can. Last episode, we had to, like, sort of delay one of the categories, because we were talking... Way too much about Greta Van Fleet, I think. I'm not going <laughs> to blame Greta Van Fleet for that, because we, we got sidetracked yeah. on them. But um, we, we're going to pack as many indie castes as, as we can into this episode. So to start off with, a big category, comeback of the year. I feel like this was a year where a lot of familiar favorites from the past in indie world came back and put out records. You had, of course, Fiona Apple putting out her first record in eight years. You had The Strokes put out their first record in uh, seven years. Bright Eyes came back. Uh, You had Hum came Mm. back from like like a 20, I think... 22 years. 22 years. years. That's a great record. That was on my year-end list. Um, I think the one that stands out for me, though, is The Killers. Mm -hmm. And The Killers, you know, they weren't like some of these other acts I've talked about who... You know, came back from like a long absence to put out a record. Like the Killers have been fairly active. Uh, they put out their previous album, Wonderful Wonderful, in 2017. Uh, but for me, this is a comeback in the sense of them actually returning to an artistic state that I actually care about. Like I wrote a review of Wonderful Wonderful, and I think I literally said in that review that I that I'm giving up on this band. Like this band is finished. Like, I left them for dead on the side of the road with that review. To the point where, when they put out this new record in 2020, Imploding the Mirage, I was ignoring it. I didn't really care about it. I wasn't paying attention to to any of the singles. And then, when it came time for me to write about the record, I was shocked by how much I enjoyed the album. Especially some of the singles, like uh, My Own Soul's Warning and Caution. Um, And I don't know if, like, maybe my expectations were just low you know but i think those like, are legitimately great songs and i think that album overall is like pretty damn good and about as good as you could expect from a killer's record in, in in 2020 uh so yeah that for me i think really stands out as like wow i thought this band was finished but they actually have some juice left in the tank and they came through in a big way how about you what
1: yeah. was your comeback of the year I mean, I think Hum has to be mentioned, um,
0: it,
1: it, and that I think the release of that album was one of the one of the very few pure good things in 2020. Like usually, when there is a surprise drop of an album, I it's get some. It's called Inlet, ad- by the way. Yes, we should,
0: we should say the album title.
1: Yes, um, there's. I usually get some advance warning about it. Like that happened with Fleet Foxes, and that happened with um, you know Jeff Rosenstock. But that I woke up one morning and people were talking about this new Hum record and. Uh, sometimes on Spotify you'll notice that uh, bands especially if they have like pretty common names like hum cursive like words that you might actually use uh, there's like a rapper or something like that with that name who releases new music and everyone gets like super weirded out about it but like wait this is an actual like an actual hum record and the fact it turned out to be an incredible record I mean one of the pure good things of this past year and in a way, they never really went away because they were so influential. But um, if I had to pick like a comeback of the year in the sense of like a return to form or just like kind of coming back from something as opposed to Hum making uh, an excellent record 22 years after their previous album, which is also excellent, uh, kind of an unconventional choice for this. I would have to say Grimes because granted oh. in, in 2015, Art Angels was one of the you know most acclaimed albums of the year. Uh, super popular but I think between then and her most recent now Miss Anthropocene um, it's a little hard to pronounce Uh, I don't know if anyone besides like Kanye did more to kind of devalue their uh, goodwill like short of getting canceled like you know between like the relationship with Elon Musk and um, just all the kind of goofy stuff that Grimes does and also maybe the sense that um, you know the 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 zeitgeist has like moved on from her after after art angels i mean like we'll talk about this more as far as like albums that we expect to age the most poorly but you would get the kind of sense that maybe like grimes was like a you know kind of a millennial thing like a like a 2015 sort of thing but yet she she put out a record that was really well accepted and people sort of kind of forgot about all that other stuff and you know those are the those are the comebacks that interest me because it's 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 almost easier to like go away for a long time as opposed to like come back from like any sort of PR flap or even like just like making a whack album like the killers did um I don't think that the narrative or like critics and in, in a sense are very forgiving especially if there's an ascendant artist who like gives that like one little slip so Um, I I think Grimes like really held serve in a way that impressed me. So, um, yeah, and maybe not like coming back from like making a terrible album or like, you know, it's only been five years, but, uh, I, I'm really interested to see where she goes going forward.
0: You know, I feel, I feel like people were kind of lukewarm on that album. I I actually Mm -hmm. thought it was like a pretty good record. I, I enjoyed the Grimes record. It didn't, Um, it didn't
1: do as good on like Year ends as visions or art angels did, but, um, you, I got the sense that people were kind of like winding up to like really dismiss it, and that didn't happen. <laughs> right. I think I think that also sort of happened with Tame and Paula as well. They they came back from like what I thought was like some a really cool reception to the singles, like, and there were like eight of them. So yeah, I think yeah. at the end of the day, if like if you're that, I think popular bands tend to get a lot more
0: leeway. So um, right. yeah, that that would be my choice. Moving on to our second indie casty of this episode Worst Musician Tweet. Wow. <laughs> uh, I'm excited for this episode. I was excited for this uh, category. Um, I have to go with this is kind of an obvious choice, but it's obvious, I think, for a good reason because it was really terrible. Uh, it was from Halsey in January, uh, and it was when she basically wished another 9 11 on Pitchfork. <laughs> Uh, over a review of her record, uh, her record "Manic," which got a six point five, solid score. Not Definitely bad. not a home run, but like you know, if you if you want to break that into like the star, like if you're doing like the Rolling Stone five star rating, that would be like about a three and a half star album. So pretty solid. Maybe a little less. It'd be like three and like maybe like a third star so uh but she she tweeted can the basement that they run pitchfork out of just collapse already and also you must joke. you must
1: you must mention that it was p asterisk like pitchfork but the i is with an asterisk so in right so
0: people might not find it you know exactly like the, the editors of pitchfork searching pitchfork in twitter looking for you know people mentioning the site it wouldn't <laughs> have come up in this site because of halsey's very clever uh, uh, ruse there, but yeah, she didn't. Re- she's making a joke there about music critics living in their parents' basement uh, or bloggers, I guess, living in their parents' basement. That I think that was the original sort of idea of that tweet, but she didn't realize that Pitchfork is now a big time corporate uh, music publication that is housed inside the World Trade Center or the World Trade Center building. Uh, so uh, yeah, that was a problem. She actually deleted the tweet and apologized after that. But uh, you know, to me, this just uh, it it signifies a larger trend that we saw in 2020, and you know, has been going on for the last several years of uh, musicians clapping back at critics on Twitter, which is something that again, like, I don't have a problem with. You know, if you if you know if you're a music critic, you're putting your opinion out there. You have to be prepared for the person that you're writing about to, to come at you. You know, I think that's part of the gig. Um, however, I think it always looks music- It always makes musicians look awful when they do that. Mm-hmm. Like, if I was Halsey's friend, I would say, don't do this, Halsey. <laughs> this is a mistake. It's going to make you look terrible. You have a right to do it, but it's not good form for you to do it because you're just going to look terrible. And in this case, you looked especially terrible doing it. So that's my choice. Uh you I think even have a better choice though. I love yeah, your choice.
1: I mean, I think if you overlook the fact that Halsey kind of kind of sort of wished another 911. It's actually a kind of a legendary tweet. Um, moreover, like she didn't I she didn't intend to invoke 911. Like I'll give her a little bit of leeway. She apologized. Yeah,
0: I- it, accidental and
1: also, 9-11 yeah i also think of it like i maybe i have like a little more like warm feelings towards it because apparently this happened on january 23rd 2020 and i don't know about you how do like anything to go back to that time and just when like the biggest thing that we're talking about on the day is like how, halsey made a 9-11 tweet um so i i don't know What's, i think
0: what I'm sure I, Trump did something that day that yeah, people were I'm talking sure. about. I'm sure Trump, like you know, executed a member of his cabinet for uh, <laughs> you know doing a bad tweet or something. Yeah, he, we yeah. just don't remember any of that. Yeah, we're, we we we're, <laughs> we we feel romantic for the awfulness of early 2020 because it makes the awfulness of later 2020 uh, like like seem good. <laughs> yeah, or or whatever.
1: But on a related front, for like my worst tweet now, I mean you can – We could like dedicate like an entire week's worth of episodes to this, Um, you know, just for any number of reasons, Uh, you know, musicians you find out who are like anti-COVID truthers or, you know, not wearing masks or like there are just so many ways. But um, if I had to like think of the tweet where I looked at it and thought this is like everything about 2020 or even the past four years that I kind of want to leave behind. Um, this happened on november 7th 2020 which um, i believe is the day that we kind of figured out that joe biden was going to be the next president of the united states uh james blake um in the 2010s one of the most innovate like an innovative electronic producer kind of a pop star now uh he tweeted uh, how do you cough it like that word c-o-v-f-e-f-e like the kind of cough fave let's call it that just so i have a way to pronounce it i've never heard the word said aloud but he tweeted cough fave this morning tasting different now how it how it reads right now it how it reads right now is probably very innocuous like what's so bad about that but (laughs) i think one of the worst the the trend that i'm hoping we i'm hoping the biden presidency kind of gets rid of the whole like resistant tweeter sort of thing now grant if we really wanted to be accurate about like worst tweet of the year like we would give the airborne toxic event guy like a lifetime achievement award oh my like, god
0: because thi- this guy how did he become like the big resistance guy like he, I, how he did is that the, happen
1: <laughs> he is the he's airborne, like, he's like the, he's, he's he like, was an npr like, wasn't he like an npr writer or something like that before
0: he's like the indie rock he's the indie rock jeff tedrich that's yes. what he is. Like you just see him all over the place, and you know, doing like, "Let me tell you something, Mr. President." Yeah, you know, <laughs> sir, have you no decency? Like that. It's Doctor Biden, not Mrs. Biden. Yeah, you know, and like like two hundred thousand likes. You know, yeah, and what? Like who likes this garbage?
1: Well, the, the, uh, a lot. A lot of people do, and I think you know, maybe it's I don't know the fact that I live in Southern California. Like you say, things are a bit different here, but. Um it's it's that sort do you have no decency sort of bit or if <laughs> like you if you give like th- anything like Donald Trump says like he gets five pinocchios for this thing it's um it's it's a, this sort of like impotent like liberal resistance twitter stuff and it's usually you know from the airborne toxic event guy or like some other 40 something artist or like you know your neighbor um it, it's acceptable. It's like, okay, well, this is what they need to get by. And, you know, at the end of the day, we're kind of on the same side, but to see this from like James Blake, um, I don't know if like being in a relationship with Jamila Jamil, um, who is also like oh, yeah. a legendary tweeter, I, like back in the, back in the early two thousands, like there was a, like people would make jokes about like these rappers who would date Erica Badu, like Andre 3000 and common and, Dead prez, and they would all of a sudden be like dressing real different, and like they would just like kind of stop rapping and become like kind of like neo soul. I don't know if James Blake is having that same effect, but like it's been a very
0: interesting trajectory for this guy to go from this. She's like, uh, uh, she's led him down the the resistance Twitter path. I think there's yeah. no question. And uh, I, yeah. the
1: the the content of it, coffee like this thing that was played out like a week after it was said back in I don't know 2018. And the James Blake, I don't even know if he's American. I guess he lives in L.A. now. But just the combination of the author of it, the content, and the oh my god, like are we gonna get like resistance Twitter for four more years? This one just struck me as th- th- it was a perfect storm of just bad Twitter. Um and I I am looking at it right now and he's just got this wistful look in his eye as he's in a mountain scene. Uh, the, All right.
0: 2020, man. This that is 2020 in a tweet. Even when you win, you Ter- still sort of lose. <laughs> yeah terrible tweet man we we, we spent a lot of time on the James Blake tweet we got to move <laughs> on here we got we have a lot move of ca- on. we got to keep it moving like we have the, this is why the grammys are so long because <laughs> they get distracted by James Blake tweets and then you have like four more categories you got to blow through here yes. uh, our next category is the hey i actually like this album artist award for basically like an artist that you came to like this year like and for me um and It was also it was because of the record he put out this year, but also just in general, like I did more of a deep dive into his catalog than I'd ever done before. Uh, It was Sufjan Stevens, and this has been sort of like a a couple year process for me getting more into his work because, like, when he uh, first emerged, like in the mid aughts, and like Illinois was like his big record that was like the most acclaimed record. I think it was like a two thousand five that came out, oh five oh six. and we're going to talk about this later, but, like, that was the, like, record for me that was, like, really hyped that I did not like. And I was a little tired of always hearing about that record. I did, And it's one of those things, like, where you don't, right, where, like, when you really don't maybe like a record that much, it just gets exacerbated by, like, all the praise that it gets. And you yeah. end up disliking it more than you probably should just because you're reacting to all these, you know, other people in your mind overpraising it. Um, but, uh the Sufjan Stevens record that he put out this year, The Ascension, I really responded to. I thought it was like a really strong record. It almost made my year-end list. uh be right outside the year-end list. But um, I have to say that like my favorite Sufjan Stevens album that I listened to in 2020 was The Age of Odds. That oh, was an yes. album that um, I had sort of dabbled in before this year. But like in 2020, it really became a record that I really got into and just became fascinated with. And... Um, found myself really responding to that aspect of what Sufjan Stevens does, the more sort of electronic, almost like a hybrid of like of electronic music and prog rock. Like that's what that record is. And there's some elements of that on The Ascension, although that record the songs themselves aren't that complicated. It's just like a really long record. <laughs> um Whereas uh, Age of Odds, it is much more sort of convoluted, but in a really fascinating and, I think, ingenious way. So, um, yeah, I would say Sufjan Stevens was the artist for me that, like, in the past, I was a little skeptical about him. But uh, he really kind of came home for me this year because of The Ascension and also just because I dug into his catalog more. Yeah, for me, um,
1: I, I want to give a kind of a special shout out to the fact that I listened to a Velvet Underground album for the first time this year. Like that's a whole wow. other story about like why Which never, one? But, all of them, they're really good. <laughs> they're but yeah. Band. It, yeah. Good band. Um, but yeah, I think just my own sort of like antip- antipathy towards like New York and like critical canon and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. I, I made it a point and you know what? I now realized that it is true. Like 99% of all indie rock like spawned from these, f- these four records. And, you know um but beyond that if we're talking about like newer acts um an album that came out after i made my year end list uh was the new and final joan of arc album um for you know those of you unfamiliar with joan of arc it's led by tim kinsella it's been around they've been around since i believe 1997 it's the act he started after cap and jazz imploded and Joan of Arc if they're known for anything amongst people our age or just music critics in general is there's no band that has gotten worse like worse pitchfork reviews and more bad pitchfork reviews than this one like the, you look back at their you look back at their archives and we're talking about like 1.9 2.8 like they just despised by them to the point where that's like the one thing they're sort of known for, even in the uh, Tim Kinsella documentary that Vice ran, they dedicate a lot of time to not saying that specifically, but just how critics, quote unquote, hated them. And, you know, I think it's it makes sense. They're a really pretentious band, intention- like knowingly so, and they make a lot of very unconventional, um, <laughs> difficult music. But they put out an album uh, about a week ago called uh, Tim, Molina, Theo, Bobby. It's named after the four members of the band. Um, shockingly accessible. It A lot of it does sound like, um, you know, maybe more like American football, which Tim Brothers Mike started. Um, really pretty electronic instrumentals. Uh, Molina is one, a vocalist who has a weird sort of twang. She plays a fake guitar on stage. Um, and if this was like from a new band, um, I think it would be a lot more hyped up. But, you know, with Joan of Arc, you're either there or you're not. And this, this, this inspired me to go back and listen to their very, very deep catalog. And yes, a lot of it is uh, unconventional, maybe somewhat borderline unlistenable. But I just, it, it's one of the best experiences to, to discover a band late in the game and then realize, Oh, wow, I got fifteen records I can listen to. Like this is something i unex- that's unexplored because, you know, at times it feels like you've heard everything, and uh, you know, there's really no you know past canon to look at. But, um, yeah, Joan of Arc turns out
0: if it's a, if there's a Kinsella involved, I'm probably gonna like it <laughs> All right, moving on to our next category. I'm calling this the hey, why isn't this on your list award? Oh yeah, uh, this this is honoring. The album that was a consensus favorite uh, that we feel is actually overrated. Um, and for me, uh, this was a pretty easy choice. It has to be the Run the Jewels oh, album. Yeah. Um, my uh, my friend Rob Mitchum, um, every year he compiles a spreadsheet where he takes all the year-end lists that come out from publications. And he creates sort of a composite score to show like which albums did the best overall on all the big lists. The Run the Jewels album, I think, is number three currently on that list. Like, it's ahead of the Waxahachie record. It's ahead of, like, a lot of the other albums that we consider to be, like, the the consensus picks this year. Like, Run the Jewels is, like, right there with them. And, you know, my feeling about Run the Jewels is I liked their first album. I thought it was, like, pretty good. After that, I just felt like it was more of the same with every album. And it just, like, I don't dislike it. It's just not something that I find to be terribly uh exciting or interesting um it's pretty one note for me um and i have to say too that like it's a little weird that this is the most critically acclaimed rap record of the year like these two guys are are they both in their 40s yeah that that, i I would
1: imagine they're both in their 40s like i mean they've been around since like the early
0: 2000s late 90s so i don't know their exact age but i would guess 40s i mean i don't keep close enough tabs on hip-hop now like to really know like if there are other albums that deserve to be up higher than that but like Mm -hmm. it seems a little weird that like run the jewels is like still the go-to critics pick for like a rap record uh it's it strikes me as like that being a choice when uh People just aren't being creative enough, like for picking albums. I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe people really love that record, but I don't know. For me, you know, like when I made my list, that's the one album that people asked about the most. Like, huh. why isn't this on your list? And it's just not something that I really ever responded to this year. Uh, and you know, I, I, I'm not mad at them. You know, I don't dislike <laughs> them, but I just can't really muster up much, much excitement. run the jewels at this point
1: maybe people say like ask you like hey how come this is not on your list because i've called run the jewels the national of dad rap so those are a couple things that might apply to you
0: was that an insult or a compliment i can't Uh, really figure out it is
1: it is a value-free judgment but yeah i mean i remember writing the pitchfork review for run the jewels too which uh was like 2000 like words and that ended up being the number one album of 2014 and I cannot remember a album that like I got tired of more quickly than run the jewels to. Um like maybe it was just them being on every single festival um, just really overexposed. And then they continue to do the same thing. Um, and I don't know. It's like, yeah, it slaps, but I need some sort of like resistance to, you know, when something slaps that it, it, it just reminds me of like being at like Coachella at eight at night, you know, it's, it's, I I get nothing out of it but you know I think it's properly rated by people who would like that sort of thing it's just that I can't imagine like how you could look at 2020 and see this kind of conventional rap album as being like what really spoke to people but um for me yeah I mean um, I think
0: I, I think it's fine for what it is but just that it would be like number three like yeah. uh, like if you when you compile all the lists and it's like because that shows that that album is like consistently in the top five. I just on yeah, publications list that seems like a little too much, yeah, like to praise me, for that to record. To me,
1: I think. it's like a Marvel movie in the sense that like you know it's sort of going to happen, and uh, yeah, I just can't emotionally invest in it. Like, it's yeah, good, you know, if you like Run the Jewels, by all means, I hope you get to see them at like every single festival in 2022 when they come back, but when it comes to overrated for me like i a lot of the albums that kind of top the list um are ones that you know i can understand they're, they're they're well crafted but maybe just not for me so i have to think of overrated as being an album that would otherwise appeal to me but i think that maybe uh, it just didn't hit in the way i expected it to and for me that would be eves tumor um i really like their 2018 album uh it <laughs> Uh, It it was kind of like harsh electronic music um, and also a song that sounded like Orgy, which I really appreciated. But with this new album, (laughs) um, and and this one topped a lot of, uh, you know, Heaven to a Tortured Mind is the new one. This one topped a lot of uh, critics lists. Um, It came out on Warped. And I think what what happened here is that people sort of ran with the narrative that was being established where it was like, Eve's Tumor is a new rock star it's like this is a real rock star album because this as compared to the previous record which was more like more sort of like Arca or one of tricks point never this was uh there were some rock songs on here that sound a little bit more like Prince maybe in some places or a little bit more like David Bowie and um and and this album start like Gospel for a New Century, the first song, it is awesome. And I think that song carried the weight for it. But I what what my problem with like, oh yeah, the new rock star sort of thing with it's like I listened to this album like a dozen times and I cannot remember any songs from it besides Gospel for a New Century. And this it, it makes me think back to how like it, it reminds me more of like not a rock star, but like someone like say Tricky. From, you know, like, where it's, like, back in the days when, like, electronica is the new rock, like, rock music, trip-hop's the new rock music, and it creates a good, like, good uh, ambiance, and um, I like what it's doing sonically, but I think too often, and I think this is kind of true with St. Vincent as well, where people, like, would say that St. Vincent is the new Bowie, but in reality, I don't think she's really created a lot of songs that people really like. I think Eve's Tumor presents what a great idea of a rock star in 2020. Um, but it lacks like songs that I can actually remember. Like I'll listen to, I just listened to that album the other day and I just found myself kind of zoning out, which is really not what, uh, <laughs> you know, not what like a top 10 album consensus uh, should really be doing. And let, you know, I see this person going on kind of a tricky trajectory and hopefully they'll uh, like tricky collaborate with, you know, our our decades version of
0: Ed Kowalczyk, you know? Well, I mean, I... I know I you love, love this, this record. record. Th- this was in my top 10. And, I mean, I would say that the most memorable song for me is Kerosene. I think that's a great song. That's one, that one's and good, think, too. And I think when people talk about, uh, you know, this being like a rock record, I mean, to me, it's because there's like lots of great guitar solos on it. It has like a vibe to it that... I understand what you're saying about the songs not standing out. I kind of feel like it's a record. It remind like in my uh, write up of it, I likened it to albums like uh, "Goat's Head Soup" by the Rolling Stones and "There's a Riot Going On" by Sly Stone. Like these early '70s, kind of drugged out, swampy, murky albums that are, I think, more about a vibe and creating something that's like greater than the sum of its parts like where you're sort of immersing yourself in this like scummy you know seductive like setting like Mm. like environmentally you know that to me is the strength of that record I can understand like if you're trying to break it down into tracks that you're going to put on a playlist or something I don't know if that album works as well I think it really is an album in the sense that it's best enjoyed if you listen to it from beginning to end mm-hmm. but uh so yeah I like that I'm gonna disagree with you on there I like that record a lot mm-hmm. uh but uh you know agree to disagree on that one I think we're on the same page with one of the jewels though yeah which is strange because
1: we're, like we're we're
0: we're 40
1: like by the way they're both killer Mike LP both 45 th- yeah. th- this should be like the one rap album that we're' we're, we're willing to engage with like if any it's like Run the Jewels is made for us, you know. It's like right, and and it's in the same category. And I I don't mean this is an insult. Like Jason Isbell fans are like Run the Jewels fans. Like it's it's that dad rock sort of college football Twitter, but apparently its reach is far broader than we could possibly imagine. Like yeah, I, I I'm just sort of amazed like how despite everything being turned upside down in 2020 like people thought like R- A run the jewels album was the sound of revolution and maybe it is in the sense of like that James Blake tweet where it's just going to kind of be the same except a little bit different, you know, going forward.
0: Maybe, maybe people are just nostalgic for the Obama years. So like they're in they're run jewels, and it <laughs> reminds them of the mid 2010s. Oh, yeah. Um moving on to our next category, this is <laughs> you call this the Phoebe Bridgers award. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is for the most overhyped album that actually deserves the praise. <laughs> uh, so again, like an album that got that you know ends up on a lot of year-end lists near the top, but actually we feel like you know, it earned the right to be there. And I have to say that, like, with the exception of Run the Jewels, you know, when I was looking at Rob's spreadsheet of all of the albums that are ending up, you know, at the top of Year Endless, I have to say, like, for the most part, like, I like most of the albums. Like, and, and it, it really is, I think, different than most years, because there's usually, like, one album that stands out to me as being like, ah, oh, I can't stand that record. Yeah. And it's all, and it's on all these year-end lists. I'm, I'm not really finding that this year. I, you know, I love the Phoebe Bridges record. I love the Waxahachie record. Uh, you know, the Fiona Apple record, Fetch the Bolt Cutters. I love that record too. Like, I like. I guess I'll say that record because I feel like, uh, you know, that album. I mean, it got a 10.0 from Pitchfork, mm. which I don't know if I'd give it a 10.0, <laughs> but I'd give it, I'd give it like a nine. Or so, or like a high eight. I mean, I think it's a great record. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. Even though you know people were talking about that all the time, and I would have been irritated if I didn't think that record was good, but like I did think the record was good, so I was like, okay, yeah, great. I'm glad people are praising Fiona. I'm sure that you have a choice here, yeah, because I I feel like you tend <laughs> to be more resistant to like the hyped records yeah uh, but like but like is there any hyped record that you thought actually deserved uh the praise
1: <laughs> yeah i mean i do think that all the records that are at the top like are well crafted like there there's nothing where i think people got kind of you know fooled well maybe we'll talk about it in a bit but i think that um i don't know and in, in, in the, the one the one out the one uh upshot of like you know Crit, like music critics like kind of having much more of a hive mind than before is that i look at this list and this seems pretty sturdy um but you know the reason i called it the phoebe bridges award is because uh you know phoebe Bridgers out of all the artists here like she has the most active twitter presence she does the most stuff publicly that could possibly rub people the wrong way or that could have people turn on her and um when i listen to punisher like this is a record that you know, look when you look back at her past 3 years after you know putting out strangers in the alps and boy genius i mean and better Oblivion community center uh the fact that she actually fought, like made good on that hype is just really hard to believe i can't imagine what kind of pressure she must have been under to really deliver with punisher but i mean this album if i were like look if i was like 22 this album would i'd would probably get like tattoos of these lyrics but you know, even now, it reminds me of, like, what it must have been like to hear, um, like, let's say, Bright Eyes lifted for the first time, or, you know, Ryle O'Kiley's The Execution of All Things. Um, this just just incredibly well-crafted um, and uh, exc- like exciting in a way. It, it really kind of captured 2020 in a way that um, didn't seem like too on the nose like it was clearly created before 2020 but it was just right on time um it 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 was it's enjoyable and it's very accessible but also it provides like layers of like lyrics and just like endlessly quotable um i mean i put it in my top 10 it was the one record where i really felt i was you know on, um, in, in concurrence with the narrative. And, you know, that's a good feeling, you know, I know that in a lot of ways, I <laughs> in, in a lot of ways I like to be, um, maybe a contrarian, but like, I do, I do miss those days where I, my, like my year end list would like kind of resemble that of, you know, what ended up being in Paz and Jop or whatever. Oh, and shout out to Rob Mitchum. Like this is God's work right here. I'll forgive him for, you know, Rob Mitchum was a guy who shit on so many emo <laughs> records in the early 2000s at Pitchfork, like Desa Paracitos, but that's my dude. I love that Rob does this.
0: Yeah, and, you know, going back to Phoebe Bridgers, I feel like, you know, either she or, like, her publicist deserves an award for keeping her, uh, like, in the conversation, keeping her in my Twitter timeline, like, practically every week. Every, okay. Like, I okay. feel like they were, She's either doing, like, a Goo Goo Dolls Dolls cover, or she's, like, on a talk show doing, like, a cool, like, music performance, Mm -hmm. or she's, like, doing an interview where she's, like, making fun of Eric Clapton, or she's, you know, she did something every week, I feel like, yeah, that kept her, uh, you know, present and prevented this record from disappearing, Mm -hmm. like, pretty much every other indie record this year. Yeah. And, you know, and that's also due to the record being really great. Oh, yeah. But, I mean the promotion of phoebe bridgers i thought was like pretty genius this year and that like it was constant and yet i didn't feel like it was oppressive i'm no. sure there's people out there that probably oh got no sick there are, of there are people who can't stand hearing her hearing from her right i'm sure there are i mean cuz she really was i think certainly in the indie world she was the most ubiquitous person this year i mean you yeah. could not get away from phoebe bridgers i happen to like her i like her music and i think you know i've interviewed her a bunch of times i think she's really funny and engaging Mm -hmm. and i so i'm a fan of her just as a person um but uh yeah i mean whether that's gonna spark a backlash at some point that's significant i'm curious to see if that happens but like in 2020 like she was promoted i think pretty skillfully (laughs) like to the point where you know she didn't tour but it still felt like she was like a breakout star like she could Mm -hmm keep herself present in a way that like no other artist I feel like was able to do yeah it's you know
1: it's it's really incredible even if the record was like just kind of okay the being able to like get through 2020 and be that on the present but also like never tip it over to the point where there maybe like look maybe there's a backlash brewing but I think that the goodwill she's generated amongst like across generations I think she's safe you know for now maybe in 2020 maybe in 2023 there's a record that comes she puts out a record that just like we're like you know like like an arcade fire sort of backlash or all the people who like secretly stewed over Punisher are like now at the wheel and they get to you know get their licks in but you know I, I think she won 2020 in a way I say that in a way that makes me feel like Disgusting. <laughs> Cause I hate saying like, like what if who who killed it in twenty twenty? You know? I
0: know. Well like what if Elon Musk uh like divorces or breaks up with Grimes and then oh, marries God. Phoebe Bridgers? I feel like that would derail her. But short of that, I think she's gonna be okay. Yeah. So Phoebe Bridgers, just don't marry Elon Musk and and, and you'll be all good. <laughs> or do. Um, I don't maybe she could pull that off too. I don't maybe know. Maybe she could. Maybe she maybe she would redeem Elon Musk. Who knows? Um our last category of the Cassies in 2020, the most 2020 album of 2020. And this is for the record <laughs> that, and I mean, this could be construed as a negative thing. I don't necessarily think it's a negative thing, but it's the album that we think that when people look back on 2020, people are going to like say that was the album that is most specific to that year that signifies everything that we associate with that year. Uh, and again, that can be a negative thing or it could be a tremendous honor. The album I'm picking, I guess it's maybe more of a negative thing. It's Ultra Mono by Idols. Yes. A band that we've taken we've taken some shots at Idols on on this podcast. No dis, well, I guess all disrespect to them, but like, you know, <laughs> nothing personal uh, to them. But you know, to me, like this is kind of like a minor record. It's not, you know, one of the flagship albums, although I think it's doing fairly well. I'm, I'm looking at Rob Mitchum's on, on list and it's list.
1: it's number forty one between microphones okay. and Beatrice Dillon. And above
0: Deftone. So and the weekend. Okay. So
1: it's 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 solid. Top fifty.
0: See, because I to me, I, I this record comes to mind just because I feel like it personifies this um I think anxiety among like a certain class of like indie guy where you have to <laughs> bend over backwards to prove that you're not one of the bad ones. Yeah. You know, like I'm one of the good guys, so I'm gonna like hit all of the sort of uh classic social justice, uh, benchmarks in the music in the most sort of obvious way possible with maybe not a whole lot of insight, but almost like checking off a list of like what people are talking about so I can be perceived in a certain kind of way set to music that, um, is, you know, as unforward thinking, if I can make up that term as the lyrics are supposedly forward thinking, like pretty like run of the mill rock music, Um, to me, I feel like this is a record that, like, I don't know if people are going to care about idols in five years. Maybe they will. I suspect that this is a band that's going to fade and they will be the landfill indie, you know, (laughs) equivalent of like this era. You know, that's my feeling about them. I could be wrong and I hope they prove me wrong. I hope they have a great career, but that's just my gut feeling about them at this point. Uh, so I, I just feel like when we look back on 2020, people are going to look at this, they're going to look at that ridiculous album cover where it's like, Mm. is that like a ball, like a red ball hitting a guy in the face? I don't think it's that bad of a cover. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Well, I just think that's going to be a meme for 2020 rock (laughs) when people want to make jokes about like 2020 Mm -hmm. in the future. Uh, So yeah, that would be my choice for most 2020 album. Yeah. Of 2020.
1: When we talk about like the most 2020 album, I think that, like, uh, the, the subtext is the one that we might expect to, like, age the worst. Um, and that's always tough to predict because, I mean, like, I can't tell the future. But um, I think it has to be something that, what, like, when when, like, when I when we look back at, like, 2016 or 2015, as I started to, like, kind of do a little research, what stood out to me is that the stuff that, like, seems the most ridiculous or either like a rapper that gets super popular and that people are like haven't quite turned on yet such as chance the rapper like like a like someone who you get a sense that a backlash is just being like kind of snuffed out or there's like some indie artist who there's a big discrepancy between like the critical um enjoyment of that artist and like the public perception of it you know something like I don't know, like tune yards or whatever, where you get a sense that like, this is a critic thing. And I think that like this year, um, there isn't a lot of great, there are not a lot of great candidates because everything just seems so thoroughly vetted and sturdy. It was a big year for like singer songwriters, uh, artists who have been already very much approved. But you know, when I look at this list and I mean, we could talk about stuff like, you know, the Machine Gun Kelly pop punk album or Megan Thee Stallion. I mean, th- I think those speak more to 2020, like what it was like to uh, from the pop sense. But if I'm looking at the top 20 or so and think of the record where people might look back and say, man, what, like, I, I don't know about this. I have to go with this, uh, this act called Salt. It's S A U L T anonymous uh act from the uk who topped a lot of year-end lists um with two records one being untitled black is and another being untitled rise and i tried listening to this record i think that um when you talk about like uh in 2020 people wanting to be like um yeah like resistance twitter if you will that like jeff tedrick or what or whatnot um This one, like, I think people really wanted a, um, like Black Messiah by D'Angelo in 2014 or to pimp a butterfly. Like, I think there was this desire for this one record to explain everything, to be the sound of, uh, the riots and all of, um, you know, the election and just something that like really summed up politically, uh, what was happening in 2020 and, I tried listening to this album, and to me, it sounded like okay, if you've ever been to a music festival, you maybe heard of a band called Jungle. Uh, they play, like, kind of, it sounds in a lot of ways like Cool in the Gang or just or Earth, Wind, and Fire, like a real um, heavily orchestrated, like, you know, disco or funk. And, um, and, but with Salt, there's they're first off they're an anonymous band, so you never really get a sense of perspective. But a lot of their lyrics just sound like kind of bumper stickery. Um, and when people listen to this record, like you feel like, okay, I'm a good like I'm a good person for listening to this. This is talking about like you know resistance, and it's talking about rising up and these real generalities. And I think that. I'm going to have to steal um, something that uh, a writer at Pitchfork, I won't say who it was, said about this. It's like, when Netflix makes a uh, movie about the riots in 2021, this is going to be the soundtrack. And they did not mean that as a compliment. To me, when I listen to Salt, I just think of like, it it, all, it, it just reminds me of this sort of, um, like in 2016, when like you hear fight song at Hillary Clinton rallies, this sort of like, impotent like we're gonna rise up sort of uh <laughs> sort of perspective when whereas like during the riots this year like what would you what you really heard was like stuff like you know like pop smoke or like Lujo job or whatever i think that this album is a real sort of netflix version of what actually happened and it was a, i got the sense that people were trying to like kind of force a sense of importance on it um, that really wasn't warranted by the music. I mean, it meant well, like so many of us do. But yeah, I think that this one we're going to look back and think, eh, I, I, I don't. I think this one might be forgettable in a couple years, if not one that we look back to, like you know, what the heck were we thinking?
0: That album, I feel like I didn't hear about it until I started hearing about year end list discourse. Like I heard about this album a bunch. It's like the black Pumas of critically (laughs) acclaimed albums. Yeah. The black uh, Black Pumas Pumas is like now they're like album of the year. And like, I was aware of black Pumas, but I'm like, really? Like who, like who the hell is this band? Um, so yeah, I, I have to admit, I have not heard that record and your description does not make me excited, uh, to check it out. Uh, but you know, Maybe I will, because we'll have a lot of time to listen to music for the next two weeks, because we will not be doing any IndieCast episodes. I hope all of you listeners out there can muddle through the holidays without us, but we're going to take (laughs) a little vacation here. But we'll be back in uh, January with more IndieCast episodes. We'll find something to talk about. I don't know if anything is happening in January, but... uh, I don't know. We'll we'll just uh we'll just talk about James Blake, I think, maybe during that time. I think I think we've got a lot of James Blake conversation in us. We can I do think it continue. is
1: the ten, the t- I do think it is the 10 year anniversary of his self-titled album. I, like oh my really? god. Yeah. Yeah, 2011. Well, Look back at 2011. Like the oh my like the first Joyce Manor record came out in January 2011 and that's as far away from now as like the strokes was in twenty eleven. So wow. just... <laughs> we're marching
0: towards the grave here, man. Yes. Time time is if you, you take us anything
1: if you take anything away from IndieCast, is that the inexorable march of time is uh, yeah.
0: that we... <laughs> <laughs> it's coming for all of us. Well thank you for listening to this show. On that we'll leave it on that note. Uh if you enjoy our show, I would encourage you to leave a review on uh iTunes or wherever it is you get your pods. Uh, Reviews help the show. The more reviews we have, the algorithm, I'm told, is kinder to us. It will give us better placement. It'll help us grow the audience. So uh, if you can do that for us, I'd really appreciate it. Uh, Otherwise, I hope everyone has a good holiday. Ian, I hope you have a good holiday break. You too, man. Looking forward to talking more and hashing out trends and reviewing records in 2021. Until then, everyone, Yes. have a good New year. We'll see you in 2021.